Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders, managers become product masters, getting practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. As we've moved into 2021, the name of this podcast is changing to better reflect our objective here, Product Managers Becoming Product Masters. So that new name is Product Masters Now. You don't need to do anything different to keep listening, but I want you to know the name change is coming in a few weeks and it will show up differently in your podcast player. You won't see it listed as the Everyday Innovator, but as Product Masters Now. So that will be coming in a few weeks. This episode is the final in the series on a product management body of knowledge. Every other week, starting back in episode 307, we have explored the Product Development and Management Association, that's PDMA, their guide to the body of knowledge for product managers and innovators. PDMA is the longest running professional association for product managers and leaders. It's been around since 1976. We'll end this series today by discussing product innovation management, which is the knowledge area for maximizing the return from product innovation through application of sound management practices throughout the product lifecycle. Our guest is Jerry Fix, a global product management professional who has successfully launched numerous products. He has significant experience managing global organizations to develop and support products and guide the commercialization of products and technologies. We encountered some internet issues when we recorded, making Jerry's audio just a little choppy in places, but it's still understandable. And remember, if you want the written version, the show notes that we take for you, which is a detailed description of everything we talk about, you'll find those at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 319. At the same place, you'll also find a one-place action guide to help you put into action the topics we do discuss. Now, let's talk with Jerry. Jerry, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks. We finally got to connect. Yeah, very, very nice to meet you. And you wrote a chapter in the PDMA Body of Knowledge, their uh, new book, second edition, to help all of us be better product managers. And it's the last chapter on product innovation management. Right. What, what are the key topics that are addressed in there? You know, if you look at the book in its entirety, right, there's, there's six chapters before mine. And innovation is kind of woven through all of those chapters in, in one form or another. You know, they're talking about building strategic goals, you know, kind of how to manage your portfolio, new product, you know, managing outcomes, et cetera. So innovation is kind of woven in all of that. And so we decided at one point that, you know, rather than treat innovation as a sort of static one-time event, you know, that, you know, people like to talk about that aha moment, right, which still occurs, but we wanted to treat innovation as sort of a a process that you wind through the whole, you know, sort of new product development life cycle, if you will. And so this last chapter was just a way to sort of kind of wrap that up a bit and sort of highlight to practitioners, you know, how innovation is not that sort of time event, but it's something that should be happening throughout the process and also should be something that you manage just like, just like you manage, you know, a, a P&L or, or schedule. Okay. So there are thoughtful things that we need to be doing. And as I read the chapter, um, it, it I, I suspect it was a bit challenging to write because you don't want to repeat information from the previous six chapters, which obviously also deal with innovation topics. Right. But you want to kind of show how these are integrated together. Okay. 
So you had that task to, to pull off. And it is organized in kind of three big sections. And the, the first section to me looked like it talked about the skill set that product managers need, which I think is a really important place to, to start. And ar- arguably, you know, I, I would also like to see it probably at the very beginning of the book, only because so many groups, I struggle a bit with not knowing exactly what they should be doing as product managers, or over time, they've gotten pulled in so many ways that their role has kind of been diluted. To, to tell us about what's included in there for the skill set. There's a, a quote in that chapter. I've always it. The, the Silicon Valley product group, you know, Marty Kagan is a guy that's mm-hmm. been involved with that for many years. And, you know, he... I think he encapsulates it nice when he, he describes the job of a product manager is to sort of discover a product or something that is valuable, useful, and feasible, right? So, I mean, that's kind of how he describes it. So, I think, I think I've always liked that as a, a good starting point for thinking about what product managers do. And I think you're absolutely right. The, the title uh, product manager has evolved since its early, you know, days at P&G and others that, you know, the large CPG companies that kind of sort of created the discipline that we're all in now. And certainly with, you know, with things like, and we won't get into things like, you know, agile and stuff like that, but that certainly has significantly changed, you know, what product managers think they should be doing and even what we're called, right? So now you've introduced other terms around product ownership, et cetera, right? That, that do that. But I think that if you boil all that down, there's a couple of, you know, I would look at kind of what responsibilities product managers have, and then what skill sets they probably should have in order to get those things done, right? So if I kind of go in that order, you know, the big things that I think of when I think of what product managers, and when I'm talking about product managers now, I want to be specific that I'm talking about product managers. I'm not talking about, again, product owners or things of, of, of those sort of other types of way of describing product management. They need to understand the customer experience really well. They've got to really be good at internalizing a vision so that they can begin to then about that vision to others in a way that makes sense. And the only way you do that is to be able to really internalize that. You know, they've got skills that project management sort of involves as well, which is kind of like being able to assess and prioritize things that are going on, right? Processes and activities and stuff like that. Then there's the classic product management responsibilities around, you know, pricing and roadmap, you know, and, you know, building business cases and things like that that I think are their responsibilities. And then the, the part of one of the last big things is work with stakeholders, right? That's a huge part of being an effective product manager. And, you know, stakeholders are not just people that are directly affected by the output of doing, but stakeholders are people that are, that can affect what you're doing along the way. Right. And I've discovered that over years is that, you know, if you, if you just focus on, you know, the stakeholders, that are going to use your product and you neglect the stakeholders that can affect, you know, how effectively you deliver that product, then mm-hmm. uh, you will find yourself in, in trouble. So, I mean, those I think are some of the key responsibilities. And then to your point, you know, there are certain skills, I think, that sort of support those, right? And again, these skills are around, you know, spending some time understanding the market, understanding what innovation is, right? And what we're talking about, which is how innovation is interwoven in, in, the, in the entire process of, of new product development, being able to think strategically, but also being able to be tactical. And I think that's a really unique combination of skills that product managers, the best product managers seem to have, which is they can flip easily between thinking at 20,000 feet to thinking at two feet, you know, in terms of strategic versus tactical. And anyone that spends too much time in, in one of those domains or the other 
difficult at times because as much as we'd like to think, you know, I've been doing it, you know, like you for decades, but there are still many days where, you know, I've got to get into the, the, the weeds, if you will, for their product development that's going on. And I might think to myself, you know, why am I doing this now after being a product manager for, you know, 20 plus years, shouldn't I be able to just, you know, sit up at 20,000 feet? And unfortunately that, you know, that is the, that is our lot in product managers, right? Is we have to be able to flip back and forth between those two domains. And, and the last thing I'll add to that is, you know, I'm an engineer by original training and I've spent a lot of my career in, you know, what I'd call maybe highly engineered or technical type and always consumer facing or customer facing. And in those areas, being able to explain both business technical requirements to either users or stakeholders, I think is a, is a huge advantage for product managers. Not every product manager is going to be an engineer. And, and so I get that, but even that aren't engineers, if they spend time to understand the tech stack, if you will, of the product, it'll make a huge difference in their ability to work with stakeholders and just even work with their teams. Jerry, many good points there. I particularly like where you started with the responsibilities of customer experience because product managers need to be interacting with customers so they can understand what their problem is. That helps them develop that vision that you talked about. And then some of the other things that go go into the aspect and the skill sets needed as you're talking about the engineering background. That's my background too. product managers come from all kinds of backgrounds, probably the most popular, the most dominant ones seem to be from an engineering sort of background or maybe from a marketing sort of background or another customer facing role. But having that having those uh, experiences where you're interacting with different kinds of stakeholders is really important because, as you said, we need to work across stakeholders and recognize the ones that have influence and the ones that ha- have really interest in the project and try not to get surprised when we forgot about someone that is significant to the project. <laughs> so thanks exactly. for going through the roles a little bit with us and the skills uh, needed along with the responsibilities. As a reminder, the name of this podcast is changing to Product Masters Now. Each week, we discuss concepts and techniques to help you become a product master. This is important as companies place more emphasis on product managers and as people are making product management a long-term profession. Very exciting to see that. Consequently, companies are looking for ways to creating higher-performing product management teams. Some of these companies are choosing to work with me for this. I help them get higher performance using my RPM experience, the Rapid Product Master Experience. One company is Motorola, the director of product management there shared, I had to get my team performing well for a high stakes, tight deadlines product project. I wanted a full perspective and not a narrow focus that others provide. The RPM experience, it delivered and now we have expanded it to all of our product managers. I recommend it to anyone. It was great working with Motorola. I hope I have the opportunity to work with your organization as well. The RPM experience equips product managers and product teams for higher performance. And it was designed to be a virtual experience from the very beginning, making it perfect for geographically dispersed teams and remote work. Get the details and schedule time with me to discuss your needs at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Now let's hear more from Jerry. 
A second big topic there, and if anyone is familiar with the first edition of the the Body of Knowledge book here from P.D. May, this was really the dominant topic in the last chapter, uh, was on the product life cycle and managing what happens after we launch the product and it, it starts competing with competitors and the like. Can you take us through the, the product life cycle? Sure. You, you know, when you think about the product life cycle, it's, it's a curve that sort of describes the various stages of a product from the time it's introduced to it is retired or discontinued. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got, you've got, you know, an area of, you know, development and introduction, and then you're going to be uh, in that growth period. Then you're going to be in a period of maturity and then, and then a period of decline. And and this is a, a process that, you know, almost all products go through. And if you think about it, I mean, in, in, in a normal sense, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, that, that sort of sounds like every product that even those, even those of us that are not product managers have experienced. What's interesting about the life cycle, I think, at least now more in current terms, is that curve, which honestly, you know, the development and introduction and growth period, I mean, that could be, you know, that could be certainly years historically, depending on the complexity of the product. And it may sit in its mature phase for years as well. You know, I think many of us can think about, you know, you know, consumer durables maybe that, you know, didn't change for years, maybe decades, right? Mm -hmm. Before decline finally is in hand and where there has to be some discussion about, you know, transitioning. But what what's happening now is that get, that's getting a lot shorter, mm -hmm. right? So right. the process is getting shorter. You know, I think many of us probably have an intuitive idea about why that is. You know, some of the reasons are certainly customers have become more demanding and, and their customers are certainly much more educated, if you will, on what their options are right. and what their expectations are, et cetera, right? Yeah. If we just look at cell phones, yeah. right? Th there was a time when buying my first cell phone back in the 90s, that was a huge deal. And, you know, that, that was something I had for a long time. And, you know, now we're down to once a year cycles and many of us are thinking, gosh, can't I have a new one every six months? Right. 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 And so that, I mean, that's rooted right there in sort of the technology changes, right? I mean, that, mm -hmm. you know, while there might be changes in competition and as consumers, to your point, we've become more demanding, but it's, it's a bit of a vicious circle because the, the, the technology has, is an enabler for, for us as consumers to become more demanding, right? To expect more, right? So, vicious circle in the sense that as technology gets better and that gets folded into products, you know, we as consumers then become more demanding, right? And, and round and round we go. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, yep. the one other interesting thing is that, you know, while that, that, that um, cycle has shortened, what, I, what that also means is that during the same period of time, now we've got many more of those cycles happening, right? So that's the other thing is that over a 12-month period, if it took you 12 months before to develop a product, now it takes you half that time. Well, now you've got two of these, you know, life cycles beginning and, and, and existing in the same time period, right? And that just keeps stacking up and we get more and more of them happening in the same period of time. Yeah, big, big difference there. And you included in that life cycle something that not all product managers are aware of, which is retiring, retiring the product. Right. And I talked to a lot of pro product groups that they say, what? We, 
our, our products never go away, right? They, right, right. They, they always continue to stay as SKUs or on the books, and we have to continue maintaining them, which can cause us some difficulties over time, right? right? Sure. You know, I think it, what, what I would offer there is is the product managers that maybe are taking that position, what they're calling, you know, when they say a product never goes away or their products never fine, you know, what they're probably doing is they're, you know, they are inadvertently overextending that maturity phase, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because the idea when, when you're at that maturity phase, right, is that, you know, the product doesn't change much. It might change a little bit if there's some specific competitive things it has to address, but, but competition will come in pricing, right. Becomes a a bit more of a, of an issue, but basically at that maturity point, you know, that's when, you know, you, you've hit your stride and you are generating as much revenue as possible from that product. And while holding off maturity as long as possible, if you extend that too far, guys, when it's time to, to sort of manage the decline, I mean, you're going to, you will find yourself probably in a situation where the competition begins to, especially if they're changing and and addressing that more effectively than you are, they're going to, they're going to have solutions and alternatives to your mature product that put even more pressure, you know, on that mature product. And so, you know, refusing to sort of recognize that there's a, a time for everything to eventually be managed down and and its replacement managed up, you know, refusing to acknowledge that just puts you in peril to to miss opportunities in revenue or innovation. Good. We talked about the roles before, right? And what goes into the product management role. Inside organizations, the titles of responsibilities get used many different ways. And some organizations, this issue of what happens with the product after it's launched, right? And it goes through that cycle of growth and maturity and decline and, and maybe retiring the product eventually. Right. So I find some organizations where that is what the product manager is, right? That they're responsible for that only. And maybe they call it product development or innovation or something else for the stuff that comes before that. Right. Sometimes that's the product marketer and they're the ones responsible for how the product performs in the market. But regardless of the role, what are kind of the big things we are thinking about after that product is launched and, and we're trying to take it through the life cycle and hopefully, you know, extend its time and maturity. So, so that's a good point, right? First organization about, you know, who, who does what and, and, where does maybe a product manager's role start and end and then maybe a product marketer. But I think that, you know, if you think about, you know, what, what should a product manager be doing sort of in that zone, right? So I'm going to think, you know, in that growth and maturity area, you know, there's a, there's a great description of this and I forget who described it, but they, they sort of look at interactive maturity and decline and they kind of talk about it in terms of, you know, Sub, you know, the, the product manager in introduction is kind of a subject expert. He's a growth hacker during the growth period. He's a retention strategist during, mm. and then he's a solution seeker in decline, right? So, you know, if you think about what a product manager, you know, maybe should be focusing on during those phases, certainly talk about growth and maturity. You know, that's when they got to be looking at, certainly in growth, it's like, you know, how to, how to expand the reach of the product, you know, how to be sure it's ready to scale and, and how to make sure that it is, is competitive, right? So, you know, their focus really is going to be on, you know, 
in its entirety, trying to support as many users as possible while still optimizing for the fastest growth possible, right? So there, the, the growth period is an interesting time where, you know, you still want to be doing things that are accelerating growth. So need to be thinking about, you know, sort of converting those trial users to, to, to regular users. And so that's where, and that's why I think they call it a, a growth hacker kind of uh, role when you're in that early sort of part of the, of the growth curve. When you're in maturity at this point now, you know, they're kind of focused on retaining customers and maybe retaining or sustaining whatever market share they have. Maybe less about expanding market share, which is what you'd be certainly doing in the growth period. But when you're in, when you're in maturity, it's hanging on to, to that share you've already accumulated. And so they're going to be kind of focusing on, you know, what the, the value, you know, what is value, the, the term, the value to the user, how is that evolving and making sure that, you know, that, that they're, they're, they're aligned with how that value definition is evolving from the customer standpoint, while still now focusing on a bit more kind of customer satisfaction and customer delight, if you will, and those kinds of things. Because again, this is that period where they should be focusing on uh, maintaining share, and that means maintaining customers. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what I think in those two middle areas there, you know, if you sort of think about, you know, what the role of the product manager is during that growth and maturity phase. Yeah. There's a great example I share some of the time that you might be familiar with too. Whisk laundry detergent. Whisk is probably less popular now, but their claim to fame was they were the first liquid laundry detergent, right? So that was their innovation. And before that, there was only powdered laundry detergent. And they stayed in maturity for 10 years, a long time. And then other competitors started coming in, namely Tide started coming in with liquid detergents. And one of the interesting things was they, they, all they did was they reframed their marketing. And for people that are, are older might remember the uh, ring around the collar, collar marketing campaign. And with the ring around the collar marketing campaign, they just had a new approach to how they were going to the market and try and capture the attention. And that was able to keep them in maturity for another 30 years as a dominant player. Interesting how they were able to stay in maturity so long. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, you know, that that's a great example of, you know, you talked earlier about some people say, well, our, you know, our product's never in decline or is never going to be, um, never going to be wound down. And, 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 you know, I said earlier, well, you know, sometimes maybe that means that they're, they're keeping it, you know, artificially in that mature phase too long. But in the case of WISC, like you said, they, they did it not artificially, but they did it by reframing, right? What was, what was a value to the customer. And so I would say at that point that, you know, yes, it was the same product technically in name, but, but it wasn't necessarily the same product that they launched, right? Because they, things to keep it fresh. And so I think that's absolutely legit for sure. Yeah. Reframing is a, is a very smart way that involves very low cost to stay in maturity. So if you can find a way to do that, that was a smart product or maybe brand manager that came up with that. So the third topic in this uh, chapter has to deal with tools and performance metrics. And metrics is something that's kind of woven throughout the body of knowledge from PDMA and talks about metrics in different areas. What about metrics related to the topic of managing innovation? I think that metrics are important. And, you know, I'll go back to that old saying about, you know, what gets measured gets managed. 
right? And you can fill in the what gets measured gets, and then mm-hmm. there's all sorts of variations on that. But basically, you know, if you want to improve something, um, you've got to measure it. Now, I know that people would say that, well, you know, if you think of innovation as sort of that, that singular aha moment, then yes, it's like, well, how do you can't manage that? Think of innovation the way PDMA does, which is, you know, it's a, it's a process that's woven through the whole life cycle, then yeah, mm-hmm. you definitely can, can manage it, right? And so I know that one that, that PDMA prefers, and I like as well, and there's a lot of different variations on it, which is sort of that, that balanced scorecard approach, right? And there's lots of variations on that. But, you know, basically, you know, it's got those dimensions of people process and then organization. And so I think if you, if you think about it that way, you can, you can, you can measure and you should measure you know, how innovation uh, works, right? And so there's, there's lots of like little ways that you can do that. You know, if you talk about some of the KPIs that you might use for innovation, and this is where it comes down to how do you, how do you measure innovation? And again, remember, you know, you know, KPIs are, you know, are the th- that are used to support, you know, an indicator of how well you're achieving a business goal. And then you got metrics, right? And, and metrics are, kind of measuring the status of like processes and outputs and stuff like that. And so, you know, if you think about those two metrics kind of feed into KPIs. And so if you think about some of the KPIs or metrics that you could use for innovation, companies that I've been in before, one of the more dominant ones has been looking at percent of revenue or margin that's coming from new products. Okay. So now to do that, you know, you've got to, you've got to define carefully, you know, what that rate is that you're going to call, you know, a new product. At one company I was at, it was three years after launch. Right. Others, it was shorter than that. So as long as you can do that, that's a good metric. ROI is also a good metric, right? I mean, if, again, since we're not charities as business typically and investments, you know, we make those with some expectation of a return. That's another good sort of actual PI that you can have in terms of how well your innovation process is working. And the last one I would say, so you've got, you've got, you know, a financial one you've got in terms of revenue, sort of with the customer side, you've got an ROI, which is like, how well are we in the things that we think are innovative? And then the last one might be sort of how much of the market uh, can you get to agree with you, right? In terms of share, right? So if we can get the market to agree that our product is innovative, then we should see that in either being able to capture new markets or, or more share in markets that we already compete in, right? And so, so, so those are three that are good ones. And again, every organization has to figure out exactly what metrics they're going to use to measure those and what KPIs make sense for them. But I think those three are good ones that used in any organization, you know, from an innovation management standpoint. Right. And there's lots of directions we could go with metrics. And for people that want to know more, there are metrics spread throughout the body of knowledge uh, and covered in different areas. So good places to dive into. As listeners know, I love an innovation quote. (laughs) And I asked you to bring one for us as well. Can you share that and tell us why you picked it? So uh, Henry Ford, right? So a lot of great quotes from him, you know, of course, a classic one that everyone knows is, you know, our customers can have any color they want. For their car as long as it's black, right? That's sort of a classic mm-hmm. Henry Ford one. But the, the one that I like, right? So he says, vision without execution is hallucination. That's his actual quote. I've kind of modified that before to say strategy without execution is daydreaming. I think they say the same thing ultimately, which is that, you know, strategy is critical. It's how you, you know, 
you know, your North Star, if you will, in terms of where you're headed. But if you can't convert that into something that has value to somebody else, and again, I'm speaking from terms of a business, if you can't convert vision or that strategy into something that's useful and has value, then you are either hallucinating. And that's why Henry Ford sort of, he talks about vision. And so hallucination was a good, you know, allegory to that. You know, if, if you, if, if you can see it, but you can't, then you're hallucinating. And so I think execution is really important. And I know that, you know, we like to think about strategy and strategy is the fun stuff. And strategy is the, is the, you know, the blue sky type of, you know, what's next. And that's always fun. You know, we always want to operate in that sort of, you know, Elon Musk kind of mode. But at the end of the day, you've also got to be able to sort of turn that stuff into, into reality. You've got to be able to execute on it. And so that's why I, I love that one, because that's kind of been my existence for the past, you know, 20 plus years. Well, and it ties back well to the beginning of the conversation about the roles and responsibilities and skills of a product manager and that notion of moving between strategy and the tactical work and having to, to balance that frequently, exactly. executing, actually getting the work done, and then that vision, understanding what your customer's problem is and creating a vision for the product and know how to create value for them. At the end of the day, you know, it's all about value, right? And, and, and even, in, even in the agile world, right, they talk about, you know, the ultimate arbiter of what is useful and successful is, does it have value right. to, to those that you intended to have value for? That is the fundamental thing that product managers are looking for is creating more value for customers. Sure. So, and I often phrase that as, you know, making products that customers love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for all the information. Thank you for the contributions in helping PDMA put together this chapter two in the body of knowledge. Um, how can listeners find out just more about the work that you do? And if they want to reach out and follow up with you, how could they do that? In addition to sort of my sort of day gig, I do a lot of work with PDMA. And so certainly I would encourage everyone to check out PDMA.org. The purpose of this book that, that we put together was to prepare people for that PDMA does. So I, I, I'd highly recommend people at least look at that. The book is independent of that. You don't have to get certified uh, if you use the book. The book is, I think, useful anyway, but the certification is pretty interesting um, as well. So check that out. And then, you know, for myself, certainly anyone's welcome to hit me up on uh, Twitter or, or certainly email. It's just jerry.fix at gmail.com. I'm always interested in sharing ideas and thoughts with other product managers. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I think the best way to get a hold of me. And, and again, I would encourage people if they want to explore this idea further to check out pdma.org for sure. Excellent. And I will put all those links in the show notes so it is easy to get to you. Are you also on LinkedIn? Yes, I am on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. So that's another great place to connect. I'll add that along with your Twitter because that's how a lot of people reach out. Yep. And if you've reached out to me, my apologies. I am behind on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get that in there in the show notes for you, Jerry. Thank you so much for spending Great. time with us and sharing information on, on managing innovation. It was my pleasure. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, soon to be renamed as Product Masters Now. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Find the written notes of the discussion with Jerry at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 319. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.